0: Over time, diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts have become pillars of many companies' mission statements and platforms. Everyone wants to ensure they're doing all they can so their employees, vendors, and consumers feel seen, heard, and represented. But increasingly, talent professionals are realizing it takes more than good intentions to really move the needle on DEI initiatives. If an organization is committed to doing more than just checking the box, how can they move beyond the performative to the practical business of creating a culture of inclusion? This is exactly the topic we're tackling today. Are you ready to perform at your highest potential? Welcome to the Performance Matters Podcast from GP Strategies, your workforce transformation partner. In each episode, we'll interview industry experts and explore best practices and innovative insights to help your organization improve performance. Hello, and welcome to the GP Performance Matters podcast. I'm your host, Michael Thiel. Today, we're talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, practical versus performative. Now, if you honestly don't know what any of that means, that's okay, because we'll cover that too. Here with me in the virtual studio is Angela Peacock, Global Director of Diversity and Inclusion for PDT Global, an LTG company. Angela is a DEI practitioner with nearly 25 years' experience helping organizations and their people create the environments where anyone who's capable can excel. At PDT Global, she leads the Strategic Inclusion Team, a group who works directly with C-suite executives to build alignment and strategic understanding around DE&I. Angela, I wanna welcome you to the Performance Matters podcast and also carving out time in your day today.
1: I'm absolutely thrilled to be here, Michael. So there's no, no thanks needed. I can talk about this stuff all day and all night my happy place so I'm very happy to do that very happy to do that
0: perfect I'm excited about it. there's a lot we want to talk about when it comes to diversity equity and inclusion and um first of all that's a mouthful I mean we need to figure out like a a snappier little title for this that's just a lot de and i diversity equity inclusion it's just it's it's, it's it's a tough, it's a long deal here, so we'll work oh. shop at at another point. <laughs> but like, oh, my God. Oh. I have a story on that one, too. Absolutely, okay. it's a long deal. It's a long I know. Deal. I'm like, geez, this, this title is ridiculously long, but it's important, and that's something we're going to talk about here. Before we start talking shop, though, this year, at least, I've been on a little kick of just really letting our hair down a little bit and letting the audience, our global listeners know a bit about our different expert panel hosts here. So are you good if I ask you a couple of uh, personal questions?
1: Hey, I talk about inclusion all the time and and this this <laughs> will be, you know, is it a psychologically safe space? Am I okay? Yeah, go ahead. Fire away. Fire okay.
0: Away. Well, these are these are softballs for you here, as we say in the United States. So first of all, where's home for you, Angela?
1: So home for me, and I'm actually doing this from home today, is a um, a, a house that's in the middle of nowhere. Um, so. It- in back in the day pre COVID, when I used to fly around the world far more than I do now, um, and I practically was never in the country, I decided it was a good thing to move to the middle of nowhere so that I'm an introvert, right? Which is something not a lot of people recognize about me. So when I, come I wouldn't home guess from work, it, no, <laughs> no, no, right? Um, so when I come home from work, I do not want a lovely neighbor or two saying hi, how was your day, or anything else. So I bought a house, it's in a tiny village. This will be weird to people in America. There is one road in and one road out, and there are only 30 houses, and that makes up the entire. In fact, it's not a village. They call it a hamlet, okay? Oh, so I like that. I'm living in a hamlet um, right in the middle of nowhere in Hertfordshire, which is a, uh, about an hour and a quarter drive from London.
0: Oh, that sounds fantastic, a hamlet. That is a delightful term. And even though we're, we're on a podcast, we're using our StreamYard virtual studio space here, so it looks lovely in your hamlet in the Shire um, where you're out there, <laughs> delightful. And so the second question that um, that I usually like to ask is just what's one fun or surprising fact about Angela that, that you'd like our listeners to know?
1: So I think it's a fun fact, and it's a fun fact that I use to challenge people's biases in this work an awful lot of the time. So, Your your listeners are all avidly listening to this very well-educated, you know, woman that knows what she's doing, that writes all these articles, that appears on TV, that does all this clever stuff, that coaches some of the biggest CEOs on the planet, right, as you did and mentioned in your introduction. But the little known secret about me is that I got kicked out of school at 15 and I don't have one single qualification to my name but i managed to build one of the best and biggest now dei practices on the planet so all of that bias, you can feel it. Wow. Even as I say it, I can feel people out there going, oh, we'll switch her off. What's she gonna tell us? What's she <laughs> gonna know? Right. Um, so actually, it's one of those unknown biases, it's one of those things we don't hear about, all that, you know, that educational bias. But I'm afraid it always makes me smile, um, especially when I'm I'm talking to groups of lawyers or groups of farm pharmacists or doctors in the, you know, medics, you know, the, the end of the, the day, they say, wow, that was fantastic. Where did you learn your stuff? And I'm like, from
0: doing I learned it, it in life, right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's the one. That's the one. I don't know. My, my mother's proud of that, but I'm certainly proud of that.
0: <laughs> well, that is, that's a, actually a great kickoff for this episode. So the official episode, and this is something when, the production team and we've got a great production team at GP strategies for this podcast. So it's not just me being a Yahoo on the, the hosting side here, but this really caught my eye of the topic of DE and I and really the, the subtopic was this concept of the practical versus the performative. And Angela, I do have to admit that I had to look up that term performative uh, because Number one, I had no idea what it meant, but yeah. when I looked it up, it really was very intriguing. I don't know if that's an, if that's like a proper English word or if that's just something I've never heard of before, but I wanted to start out before we even dive too much into the practice of DNI, can you just break down these two terms of practical versus performative? And I'm imagining it's like I'm a teeter-totter with DEI right in the middle, but- just help me understand first, so then I can be a better interviewer of you.
1: So from let's start at the back end, actually. Let's start with performative. So okay. performative is where we claim to do stuff, and we claim we are doing it. But actually, what we're doing is putting a big show on and pretending to do it. Now, the really interesting thing about performative work is... Sometimes it comes from the CEO, right? The CEO that will right. stand on a platform and declare to the world, I know everything there is, you know, I'm I'm really into DEI. I'm driving D E and I, you know, I have three daughters or my son's just come out as gay or whatever, right. therefore, you know, and, and everyone inside just dies a little bit because they know that's not true. <laughs> right the way through to how you see the comms department or the DEI department posting a black square and actually what's going on on the inside, and I know we're gonna get to this a little bit more later, but what's going on the inside is actually not helping any kind of racial group inside their organisation. There's nothing real going on to, to do that. It's the claims okay. about authenticity. It's that sort of stuff where nothing really is being done. Now, some of that's done in innocence and some of that is intentional. If you then look at what does the practical mean, the practical is we know the staff that moves this forward. We know the staff that, that, that that really does move the majority of organisations forward, at a faster pace than they are doing at the moment. It's just that we really don't want to hear about it because, quite frankly, it's hard work and it really does involve <laughs> us doing some real stuff rather than yes. just talking about it. Does that help?
0: That that helps a lot, actually, and um, that really, honestly, gets me very excited about this because, you know, for full disclosure, I don't know if anyone can tell from my my accent or anything, but I'm a late forties white male and sometimes i just feel like i don't want to be part of the problem but i feel like people like me for some reason or not we're not doing the right things we're not being part of the solution so you know this is this is a great opportunity just selfishly for me to learn more from you and to hear more about it because i just feel like uh almost kind of like when i'm watching my kids and they're doing tick tock and I feel like I'm just on the outside looking in and honestly, I don't want to be like that. So, you know, the first question I have for you, and usually if you're thinking about topics like diversity, equity, and inclusion, you, you sort of think, and I'm just going to be honest here. I'm just going to let my hair down a little bit and just say, when we think of that, I'm kind of cynical. I'll say, okay, it sounds like a rubber stamp deal. Like I'm thinking of like a long, boring, Training session you've got to sit through, or it's an e learning, and it's like, okay, I did that, move on with my life here. So, my question to you How has DEI gained that reputation over the years? And then on the flip side, what's a more accurate picture of DEI done right? So the answer
1: to your first question about how's it got that reputation, it's got that reputation because that is what it has done. Um, so GN really, I mean, I will never forget part of the reason PDT Global moved into this work, right, and started doing this work in the beginning. We were very successful doing leadership work, very successful doing culture work. I looked over the fence and saw Done what was then only termed diversity work being done and quite honestly it was bad learning it wasn't <laughs> done from a learner's perspective at all or to your point it was incredibly boring compliant e-learning and and people were basically being churned through and you hit the button at the end and went that's it oh. there was really nothing transformative yeah and more than that there was nothing to embed it in anything else at all. So what you got was this kind of one and done <laughs> sheet dip side of the desk. Let me go on this training program and I will be cured. But you didn't really know what that's it right. was. You're going to be cured I've been of,
0: baptized right? now. To, I'm, that's in, right.
1: I'm inclusive. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> so you get out, and you go, look, I'm a little bit wet, but I really didn't know why they did that. <laughs> and I really don't know what I can do next. And. Really and truly, if I go to kind of the the, the second part of, of, yeah. of your question. What's it done right? When we do it right, and again, there aren't an awful lot of organizations doing it right for the reasons that I said, mm-hmm. that it's hard work, right? But when it's done right, it brings together three things incredibly well. One of those things is measurement, and we'll talk a little bit, a little bit later on uh, around what's good measurement, what's bad measurement. But it's definitely measurement. If you don't know where okay. you are, you know where you're starting from, any road's going to do. And, and a lot of the time we rely on measurement being really basic diversity measurement. It should be more than that, and I'll, I'll speak to that presently. So the first thing's measurement. The second thing is, born of that measurement is a decent plan. I cannot tell you how many times I have seen what are called cool DE&I plans and actually they are strategy with a little bit of intention on it. It's not a plan. It wouldn't be a plan in any other business unit, right? <laughs> we <laughs> would throw that straight back and say, lovely, that is what you are dreaming you're going to do. Now go and tell me how you're going to do it and how, and this is the third bit, am I going okay. to hold you accountable for it? So bringing those three things together, accountability measurement planning is that's how it's done right so when you do get the learning it's done to back all that up rather than a little one and done at the side of your desk
0: all right so and by the way if i'm looking away it's because i'm getting a chance to sit at the foot of someone who's an accomplished expert in this so i'm i'm taking notes here and so the the three notes i've taken away right now are you got to measure you need to make yep. plans based on evidence, yeah. and then you need to hold the organization from the top down accountable. Is that yes. what I'm hearing?
1: Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. So
0: let's let's um let's talk about the the next topic on my little to do list here, and that is this concept of uh, what I'm going to call intent versus impact. You know, so yeah. for example, one of the things I think about is you know when an organization they change their social media profile to include a rainbow flag for Pride Month. And I, I think that's a that's a good start, right? It's better than the opposite. Uh, but the fact is, so that comes from solid intent, but you know, at the end of the day, the things that you just mentioned, I don't know necessarily if that checks the boxes of impact there. So let me ask you that. People that are saying, organizations that are saying we're well-meaning, we've got some good intent, but shifting that gear, what are your thoughts on it?
1: So when we look at that, and and if I can go back to something you said, putting the flag up is better than the opposite, i.e. not putting the flag up or not posting the black square. But let's just break that down. All the research tells us that the great stuff people do externally, like putting up the flag, right, like okay. um, posting the square, that actually makes them looked upon more favorably by applicants thinking of coming to their organization. Okay, so externally, Mm, the very thing you're trying to do in this work, and let's not lose sight of it, which is increase underrepresented and historically marginalized groups in our organizations, that's it, that's why we do it, then actually doing that work is positive externally. However, when you look at the damage it does internally... And when you also look at the damage that happens when one of those external people apply, get into your organization, come in because you did all this good stuff up the front. Mm But actually, when they got in, you're rife with um, transphobia or you're rife with race discrimination, then actually it's more damaging than if you hadn't done it in the first place. Does that that Mm. make sense? Oh,
0: yeah, it does. The light bulbs are going off in my head there because it's Mm -hmm. like, hey, we're cool. We're hip. We're woke. And then you come in and it's. it's it's the exact
1: opposite and it's complete opposite and obviously if you're in already how the hell does that feel you know oh yeah yeah so um just post Hmm. george floyd's murder we had um i I cannot tell you i was working around the clock we had it felt like every ceo that we'd ever touched or worked with before was picking up and saying can you talk me through this what the hell do i do now what what we said was what have you done already and with no no exceptions they had posted the black square when we then said can you tell me here we go again what the plan is that will actually make you a l- less racially biased organisation so you're going to stand up to what you said out there kind of tumbleweed i mean a few little efforts the odd listening group but they didn't have anything that fundamentally held anyone accountable for making that difference and that is where the rubber hits the road that's where we need to change what we do because the damage we do to individuals internally it, it's huge it, it really is and I we can't underestimate that.
0: Yeah so it sounds like there's a lot of work to do on that side Angel so let's think about this you're, you're bringing up some great topics for me in terms of thoughts and one of those might be okay what are the warning signs right so if an organization is saying okay i'm now aware of this idea of performative versus practical there might be things i've been doing well intending that are actually causing some major issues and uh really harming i would say employee engagement fair to say so what are some warning sides that you'd say that someone's tipping their scales from the practical to the performative so
1: various places and and again you, you heard me saying earlier you know measurements really important and some of the measurement things that i talk about are quite wacky and they're very new but let me start mm-hmm. with the one that you flagged there the employment engagement survey we underestimate how powerful our employment engagement surveys are in flagging the warning signs for de and i now providing you have a baseline and the baseline needs to do two things it needs to show you how inclusive you are as an organization preferably by manager. In other words, you Mm. need to be able to cut the data down to the individual human that's leading a department. We, We really have seen a difference in the questions answered when you know they are about DE&I, compared to when we hide them. And when we hide them, we talk about how you feel within the organization. Do I feel her? Do I feel I'm gonna get my next promotion? Do I feel like my ideas are taken on? So it's a feeling description. So if you can isolate those, it gives you benchmark. However, what we also know is if you are working in an organization full of straight white men um straight white cisgender men um then they are likely to give a high inclusion score because they feel happy and included well of course they do because they're <laughs> mixing with people they feel okay with right right exactly I walk like you talk like you smell like you and act like you i feel great with you that's so all right I- <laughs> old chap <laughs> <laughs> yes that's it my darling that's exactly what we want <laughs> so What we need to do is make sure within that we are also asking people to disclose their diversity strand, their diversity group or their intersectionality around diversity so that we can actually say our inclusion scores are starting to go down and they are going down faster around our historically marginalised groups than they are around our, and I'm going to use the word dominant, our dominant group, and there's not enough of data cutting around that. So that's definitely one of the warning signs. Basically, you're looking at disengaged, historically marginalized people, which interestingly, very often is the precursor to disengaged other people as well. So it's not like when you suddenly start to bleed Hmm. out your historically marginalized group, everybody else has a party and gets motivated and does the job better. It doesn't work like that. What's also interesting, if you look at the um, age groups that we're we're now hiring, so the younger and younger people, the, the people that we want in that come from a whole different background to ours, they care much more what it looks like inside. So what you will start to see is a difficulty bringing talent in. So one of the other warning signs, it's not just historically marginalised talent. It can be talent from the dominant group that just don't want to work for you because it doesn't feel right right it's they've heard you talking this stuff but the reality is when you look at your web pages you look at what your board looks like you look at what your exec team looks like you look at what the departments or the country groups look like, they do not look diverse in any way. Therefore, (laughs) people are just going to vote with their feet. So there's lots of ways you can really start to identify how that disengagement begins, at least.
0: This is really eye-opening for me in terms of the fact that what you're describing is really, we've heard the term culture, we talk about culture, but what you're talking about is that pervasive feeling that spills over for everyone, and yeah. it's when your when your outside image doesn't match up, you're having problems that obviously are going to spill yeah. into real world yeah. business issues as well yeah. on that end. So, um, yeah. can I can I um, back up one thing that you had mentioned when you talked about, for example, an engagement survey is is really having individuals truly disclose. Yeah. I don't know what the right word is here, Angela. The Their orientation, who they are, um, it, but did I hear that correctly? That it's, you know, if I was trans, I would need to put that within the survey somewhere.
1: Okay, we would ask you to. I mean, in an ideal okay. world, optional. We would obviously. ask you to do It's always optional. It's okay. always, always optional. And, and we can talk a little bit more about why that's optional and how and why that's important that it's optional presently. It is always optional. Interestingly, the higher inclusion quotient you have, the more people will disclose. OK, so the safer they feel to talk about who they really are and to to share some of that. Now, it's not 100 percent, this one, it's because people don't have to do that. They can choose not to and quite rightly. However, if you make it and here we go again, clear that the results of that survey are going to enable you to do something that is impactful and measurable as a result of it. Again, you are statistically more likely to get people prepared to come out and prepared to tell you who they are. If it's just okay. another survey, right? It's just like the training you talked about before. If I've worked inside the organization and seen absolutely nothing happen, but a lot of noise, a lot of events, you know, a lot of ERG groups, but nothing else go on then I am still not likely to tell you and disclose who I am. (laughs) Um, But if you tell me what you're going to do with that information, how it's going to inform and what's going to happen as a result of it, then I'm far more likely to do that.
0: Okay. So it sounds like what you've described here is really a practical strategy for helping individuals avoid that concept of covering, right? Where it's, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it, as you said, it's fashionable for, for companies to encourage employees to show up to work as their authentic selves. But, you know, I've seen it in practice many times over the years where, where we've where I've had fellow coworkers that really basically covered they've, they hid their true self for fear of judgment, discrimination, just things getting weird and that kind of concept. Okay. So as someone who's a practitioner in the space, I'm sure you've got stories, can you break that down for some of us like myself here? just describe more of what is covering sure. and you know, how should organizations handle this?
1: Covering is like covering is identity management now. Okay. I should be allowed to manage how much of me i want to show you so again some organizations go too far in the you know i want every, i want to know everything about you people are just private sometimes and they do not <laughs> right. want to share however what we should be doing is creating psychologically safe spaces so that they can make a choice and a choice that says i wish at this point in my career with this organization to share this thing about myself trusting that it won't impact me so if I if I share a couple of examples um yeah please and, do. Um, clear um clear examples that that, that we have from from our training work. Um, A a gender fluid um, manager, I remember very distinctly on on a training that that, that I was running, And when we asked for examples about this, he basically said, what was really, really interesting was that the first time he came to work wearing nail varnish, he was called into an office and asked to reconsider that in front of clients. So, you're okay to bring your whole self to work, but not there. We had somebody else who, again, in terms of use of pronouns um popped pronouns on that were their pre- preferred pronouns the ones that they would like to be known by and again similar story was told that's okay but would you mind taking them off when you send external emails to the clients i mean just
0: oh man no talk about there. a dagger that is Absolutely. a freaking dagger oh
1: completely right completely oh. um if you really want to go to extremes let's look at um african-american women's hair we have examples of organizations that again please bring your whole self to work but actually you know we preferred it when you were wearing your weave i mean oh, quite oh my
0: god uh-huh
1: <laughs> right um yeah, i mean i can i can go on if we look at things <sighs> like neurodiversity and neurodiversity is a, a really interesting one because many many strands of um different ways of thinking um, make up neurodiversity but let's talk about somebody who is adhd and autistic absolutely brilliant works wait for this in a talent team works in a talent team said that they'd had their diagnosis had their reasonable adjustments agreed everything was fine the first time they spoke to the ceo and had to share some statistics the feedback was you were too direct about sharing those statistics. So we'd love you to do that. We'd love you, and they 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 basically put this person on the internet and on their website. Look at who we've got,
0: but look not at too us. Too much of it, right?
1: <laughs> so again, when, oh. you know, when we look at covering, I mean, I can give you some stats, but some of these stats are surprising, and and when this research was done, it even surprised me. So we know 61% of people will openly tell you they mask or they cover at work, right? That was that 61%. Yeah, that does not surprise me. Right, but this surprised me and maybe it shouldn't have done. 83% of that 61% were were, um, LTGBT+, right? So they were lesbian, gay, and bisexual um people that were asked this question and you ended up with 83%. 79% mm. were black men and black women. 66% were women, but wait for this one, 45% were straight white men. Really? So when you- Right. So then you come to the, we have to involve everyone in this conversation, right? And if 45% of straight white men are covering, what are they covering? So I went away and did some work that kind of went, okay, this is fascinating. What is being covered and what's being covered? You know what? I don't necessarily want to have to work. 80 hours a week, every week, because I haven't got a child and I haven't got the excuse that I've got the excuse that I've got to go Mm. home, I right? I want to be able to talk about my mental health issues and I don't want to be perceived as weak. I don't want presenteeism, right, right? Um, I don't want to have to appear like the big, strong, masculine person all the time. I actually want to be able to show more of a, a different view to that. And I want it to be okay for me to do that. I want it to be okay for me to bring that with me. So when we look at covering and we mm. think how exhausting it is, it's, it's exhausting to pretend to be somebody you're not Oh, all the time absolutely.
0: Right wow. that That's, you, you've hit it on levels that I've never even imagined uncovering. And mm. it feels like, when you're doing that, you're it's like a battery where you're you're siphoning off your your organization's energy. Exactly. You know, it's parasitic draw, if you will. Yeah. On that yeah. end. Wow. That's yeah. that is yeah. <laughs> that and, is and, that is crazy. Wow.
1: And if I bring that back to performative, you are covering anyway, and then <laughs> you are seeing your organization go out there and claim to be something they are not. And, and, and the other bit's probably worth being clear on here. I do not mind organisations going out there and saying that they wish to achieve being that organisation. Don't mind them doing that. What I object to is when they kind of claim they're already there or receive an award. A diver- I mean, there are so many diversity awards now, right? Mm-hmm. They They receive a diversity award and they post it all over LinkedIn. And I know that there are people in their organisation dying inside. Mm. it's right it's that you know we want people to choose how much of themselves they bring to work but when they bring themselves to work it needs to be an organisation that welcomes that and supports that but if the organisation is on a journey towards getting to that be public about the fact you are on that journey be public about the fact there is a plan be public internally about that plan and for goodness sake hold your leaders accountable for, for achieving it because it's not just the person with DEI on their door's job to make this happen.
0: Thank you. And everything you're describing to me, the light bulbs are going off of that, you know, DEI is so much more than just saying we want to support underrepresented individuals. It's allowing everyone, even this, you know, late forties white guy to show up at work Mm -hmm. as your authentic self and knowing that, it's okay. And, you know, being able to take off that emotional burden, um, yeah. that's, that's huge. So I know that you've been in this space, doing this way before you're, you're, you're like the type of person who's like, I've been doing DI before it's cool, right? You, uh, yeah. <laughs> you've been doing this before it was even called the E&I yeah, um, on, on that side. So I guess if we're talking about trends and how things have come and gone over the years, you know, if we're doing a little future casting here, and I'm liking some of the things you're saying about how things might be moving, what is, if you've got your crystal ball out, what's on the horizon for DE&I, Angela?
1: I think when we, well, when we look at this and we look at the fact that an awful lot of the planet is facing into a potential recession and a potential downturn, what used to be said was one of the first things that ever goes is training. The second thing that goes is is any kind of diversity work. <laughs> What's interesting here is that if we look at all the research that proves within a sh- beyond shadow of a doubt that if you have a measurably inclusive organization where diversity is increasing, and by that I don't just mean you're hiring them, I mean diverse humans are moving up through your organization, then your business outcomes will be better. Now that's true, Hmm. whether you are looking at sales, whether you are looking at health and safety, whether you're looking at corporate governance, every possible business measurement, it will be better when you have that inclusion and diversity going on together and and a practice of equity. Therefore, we are in a situation right now where organisations that abandon that or cut down on it are risking their business success because in this sort of environment Mm. where we're not quite sure what's going on around the world at the moment, right, from a, a climate point of view, from a war point of view, from a political point of view, we actually know that the businesses that will thrive and survive are the ones that have got that happening. So actually now more than ever, it's important. But what do I see happening? I see them abandoning the frivolity, can I call it that, the performative call
0: that.
1: <laughs> investing money in stuff that does not work. And I actually say, I see them because they're knocking at, at, at our door a lot more because I talk about this stuff a lot. I see more inquiry around what do you mean about this planning? What do you mean our plan may not be a plan? How can we make <laughs> that more practical? How do we take that and hold accountability? I see that accountability on the increase. Ultimately, And if anybody out there is listening, I am not talking about this if you are at the beginning of your journey. I give yourself a little bit of time, but I am seeing increased accountability hitting the pockets of leaders and managers in organizations through KPIs, through their bonus structures. And it's not just, oh, you need to go and hire five more black people in the next year. It's an overall approach to how we are holding those leaders accountable for driving diversity up through creating an inclusive environment. So I, to me, I'm seeing that on the increase. So I'm seeing a shrinking of stuff that doesn't matter and the fluffy stuff, but I'm right. seeing an increase in that hard line. How do we do it? How do we drive it? For sure.
0: If I look at this holistically, what I'm hearing you say is that looking at DE, DE&I as a strategic advantage, it, this is tied to your business performance. Very directly, and yeah. so this is not the time um, to to reduce that. It's actually probably time to to double down as the markets get more challenging. And, yes, um, I, and, and I, I mean, can certainly see that. Everything you've talked about is it's definitely making sense yeah. to me.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's double down while checking in. That, and if I actually it goes back to what you're talking about at the moment, that horrible compulsory, I've got to do the DEI training, (laughs) oh God, I'll be done in the end, needs to move through all of those areas that I've spoken about, but actually get down to, I would love it if I could tap every person manager on the shoulder in the middle of an organisation and say to them, can you tell me, I'm seeing all these posters or I'm seeing your DEI work or I'm seeing what's going on out there, why are you doing it? And what Mm. I want is we're doing it because it's the right thing to do. We're doing it because it's about damn time we did it. But I also want we're doing it because it is going to improve our marketing by this amount. Because when we have diverse people, we do not make clanging issues that might damage our brand. We are doing this because it will actually drive our sales up in this area. You've got to get people to be realistic about a business case internally, but externally they also have to believe that it's the right thing to do. Uh, right. And for goodness sake, we we you know, I am getting far too old
0: for this not to be the right thing to do <laughs> or to happen soon. I I've just thoroughly enjoyed our conversation in in the fact as as we say in the US that you've stripped away a lot of the BS around D E and I here today. Um yeah. hopefully Hopefully I can Thank say you. that. If not, it's been great hosting the podcast. Um,
1: <laughs> I hope you can say that because that is why people tend to hire me. Okay. I, to I was going to say, that
0: <laughs> hopefully this isn't my last one for saying that. I'm going to leave this one <laughs> and just risk it. But um, so for a little bit of promo here, there's you've shared so many good things just in this conversation, but I understand that you are going to be hosting a webinar under the gp mm. uh, gp strategy shield yeah. the ltg shield something like that sure. and the term uh, at least the, it's going to be titled allyship practical versus performative so first of all when is that is that scheduled to to, to go down on a particular yep. date angela
1: yeah it is and 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 really just to sort of say so so pdt is very much now part of gp and that work will continue for the first quarter of next year so we You know, if you're out there and you're working with GP already, all of our knowledge, all of our stuff, you know, everything is coming right into GP. And as from Jan 1, there will be no scene. Um, And the allyship piece is kind of the warming up for that. So we would welcome as many people as want want to come along and ask questions. I am going to be joined by two phenomenal specialists, one from the US, um, our senior consultant from from the the US, who's going to be talking sort of through the US perspective and what that looks like and how it's different. We also have our senior consultant from the UK, um, wonderful guy who's going to be talking through what that looks like. He's big on the psychology of fear that sits behind allyship so listen in for that and we will be talking giving you some practical ideas about you know just how you can take yourself and get yourself Mm -hmm. through a series of development to be in the place where you can be a true ally for people of all races for people of all sexual orientations for people of all abilities, disabilities, religions, and genders. So yeah, watch out for that. That one's coming very soon. 30th of November, Uh, I think.
0: 30th of November, okay. I wanna definitely mark my calendar for that one. This This has been great on that end. And then Angela, for our listeners who I'm sure like me, light bulbs have been going off, they wanna know more. How can they get in touch with you? What's the best process? So there's a
1: couple of processes. I am very big on LinkedIn. So um, and I've got a lot of articles on there. So if you like the kind of direct style, that's more, there's lots more articles that you can access there. If you can't access them there, then please drop me a line. Um, I am currently on Angela.Peacock at pdtglobal.com. So please drop me a a line there and I will be very happy to answer any queries. And uh, we've got a whole host of uh, material that we can, can send if anybody would like to know more.
0: Well, I know there's no doubt about that. And I just want to say on behalf of our global listening audience, Angela, thank you so much for sharing your time and insight with us today.
1: Thank you, Michael. It's been an absolute pleasure. Really lovely. Thank you.
0: The Performance Matters podcast is brought to you by GP Strategies. Together, we can create a world where business excellence makes possibilities achievable. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you get podcasts or listen on our website at gpstrategies.com.